Did you hear the words of the Jeremiah passage? Where he said, you know, why did they wander from me? And they've taken up things that are worthless and become worthless themselves. I think there's a sadness in God's word there as it comes from Jeremiah. But God had wished that those who would be his chosen people of Israel would follow him always. But then sometimes that's not how it happens. I've been reading a book on the bestseller list lately called Zealot, the Life and Times of Jesus. Uh, It's a rather interesting book, except if you want to know what it's written about, uh, the author of it was originally Muslim. He converted to Christianity and later returned to the Muslim faith. And he writes about Jesus really in a perspective which is Muslim, not Christian. And I can read in those words a sadness. Not from him, but a sadness that what Jesus would want for that man's life and for ours, he somehow had missed. Something didn't work right. And this, it has an effect on us. Something that changes. You might call it a crash and burn variety, if you would, when things don't stay the way we think they should and they don't turn around the way we want. How do we stand strong in our faith? There were worthless things they were about. Now, if you look at the people of Israel, there's a constant theme in the Old Testament where they're always about getting involved with uh, another idol or God around them that's being worshipped, and they don't stay faithful to God alone, which is breaking the very first of the commandments. They have put other things ahead of him. Just like it would say for us, if we put a kingdom ahead of God's kingdom, it's the same way we would do it. They and we, it changes not just what happens, but what we're like in things when it happens. Things don't last in time, and then maybe they should. We think about, to me, the way our marriages go, and we think that marriages accumulate things over time. We buy all the goods that we have. We know after a while, the things we bought, I'd say about 10 years into marriage, everything you really need for life, you've already bought one of it. You know that? But you know what happens to it, though? You spend the next 40 years replacing it over and over because it doesn't last. Things have that fact about them. Some a longer lifespan than others, but sooner or later, they simply go away. What about our priorities, you may see? Is that something that shifts us to what he describes as being worthless? Now, I don't think he's talking about an economic term there. He's could be talking about that you missed God's plan for your life or even the community as a whole somewhere has missed what God had in mind for us. Every summer as we kind of now end the summer slump and I'm always glad when that ends you know I like that this is the last holiday Sunday until the next one you know which is there'll be a break in about a month and I know that comes along. I'm always concerned when we become less Uh, dedicated, when we spend more time away, that I'm afraid at the end, not that you've missed a Sunday or two, but somewhere in that we create another habit that becomes more important to us, and we let go of what has been the most important, as the people of Israel did. He said they became worthless. Was it worthless in his plan? We don't know all of what he's saying. We know that God expected much. In some ways, they missed it. Always the challenge for us 
The image here is not one simply of a people that fail God, but asks the question of how we can be faithful. That's why I read the passage uh, that's uh, found in Hebrews. He said there's a way to be faithful as a church, as a community. begins with one of the best descriptions of it, of four words, let mutual love continue. Now he's saying, kind of spend those, on those words a moment, now, what is mutual love? Love here is not the agape love term we're so used to talking about in our theology, but it's the, uh, the, the philos, or as we think of the term Philadelphia, it is about brotherly love. He said it's that sense of community about us that loves and cares for each other like family. He said, I want that kind of love to continue inside of this group of people that are my followers. He said, and the good word there is it's something that already exists. I want it to continue, he says. To me, it's a part of who we are that will keep us on task, that we don't fall into the category of the people of Israel who pursued worthless things and became worthless themselves because we have a positive thing we're after. And one is to let Mutual love continue. We like mutual in that word because we want it to know that it doesn't just happen one direction. It happens both ways, just like a family does. Now, if families are normal, we know that sometimes one person has a need that is more intense than another. And so you will spend time with them. And then you will shift it as those needs shift from one to the other. And I've learned recently when the children are gone, you're not shifting them as much anymore. Isn't that interesting? And then you get to think about what do you need. But mutual love is what we learn to share. One expects to give it and to receive it. A healthy church is where we not only come to get, but we also come to give. And that is in loving each other. And we practice that not in the big group most of the time, though I like for you to take a moment and greet each other. And some of you will hug a neck because you know one another better. But I'm thinking of the small groups within the church, the gatherings that are sometimes uh, short-term or longer groups where you learn each other and come to care and have compassion for each other, and mutual love begins to grow. I like the idea of let it happen, not force it to happen, not some imposing thing. It's as though it's the natural thing that should come from any community that knows the love of God in Jesus. You should be able to love each other without somebody telling you. Just keep the other stuff out of the way that keeps it from happening. If you'll do that, he's saying, you create the kind of community that God has in store for us. Now, come back to the word love again, that philos, Philadelphia. I was watching the uh, movie uh, 42 recently. I, I don't recommend too many movies. I really do recommend that one if you want to watch one. It's about Jackie Robinson becoming the first uh, African-American that was in a major league player. It tells the story of it, and, and it's very real and intense the way it's portrayed. Uh, the first uh, game professionally he was in was played, of course, with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they were playing in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's their motto. The motto of that thing is let brotherly love endure. But when you look in that particular movie, as it depicts it, the very opposite was being shown. We have to grow in what it means. To find a way that we can learn to live as a community beyond what has been our practice in the past. Always letting others in as God has let us into it. How are we 
a loving community. You know, we may rate friendships in different ways. You, my children have always liked to have a best friend. I hope you've had some of those along the way, maybe in childhood. Uh, for those of you who move around as my children did with us being a, a pastoral family, it was a, bro- it was a best friend in this place and a best friend in the next place. And, you know, it's like, and you keep up with them. Uh, our daughter, Emily, had four and they all made it to her wedding which was interesting when she got married because you built that kind of community that you don't necessarily walk away from it all, but it goes with you in your memory and in your caring for each other, though distance separates you for a while. We are into building friendships and community. You are to be hospitable to strangers, the text says. He's saying that we don't stop that mutual love only with the uh, handful or even the hundred or a larger group we already know, but we learn to step out of that comfort zone and let someone else in. And this church is about that all the time. Every Sunday, there are new people who are coming to check us out. They want to sign out. What kind of people are you that come to this church? And it's not just about whether the preacher is good or the choir is good. It's about whether you're good, or whether you're going to welcome them when they sit down. And number one, absolute number one thing that you cannot do is tell someone to move because they're in your seat. We don't give you that permission, okay? Now, I, I do recommend, this is my best recommendation for it is, is when is that you just sit down right next to them and welcome them, and next Sunday you show up earlier than them. That's all you really got to do, and you'll get your seat back. And they can sit next to you next week, and then on they can sit next to you. You just have to show up and get your seat. But they're looking to see what kind of community we are, a people that welcomes someone who is a stranger in their midst. They may be here for a few Sundays. They may come and stay longer than any of us that's here. But part of their experience begins as the stranger. And how do we welcome them is important. We want to be that kind of community that lets them in. He said there are those who are troubled, in trouble. He mentioned those that are being persecuted and imprisoned because in in the writing of this, the writer of Hebrews knew that Christians often were um, persecuted for their faith. They were thrown into prison, and it was the responsibility of other Christians to care for them. That is, you, you take time to go and see them. You help provide for their needs. You don't just throw them away because they are in prison now. They're out of your sight and out of your mind doesn't work if we're going to be the kind of community he asks us to be. We're to follow an example. He said to follow your leaders. Now, I thought about following people, and to tell you the truth, some, some of us don't really want to be watched as much as you think. You know that? Uh, I, maybe you're like me. I got a, our, uh, a notice from our insurance company recently that, that if you will let us put this little module in your car, you know what that thing is? It will show us what kind of driver you are, and if you're a good driver, we'll lower your insurance. I'm going... I don't think I want one of those. I don't want someone knowing that much. Do you want somebody to know that much about you? And, and, and my health insurance folks called up and said, we, we're doing something great for you. We have a health coach for you. Have you got one of those? Mine is still trying to reach me. I'm dodging real well. Don't you know that? So this person that called, oh, are, you, are you doing your plan? You got a plan together. I'm going, are you going to come run with me or something? If you're going to come help me run, that's all right. If you're going to talk to me on the phone, I don't think I want to do that. But people want to know. I, I do believe that leadership in the church is to be an example. And we should live, whoever we are in this congregation, and many of you are, 
You should live a life that others can see and follow. That's clear. People look for examples. We are hard on leaders who fail because people look to them for so much. Maybe unreasonably at times. But then again, remember in our text it said, follow Jesus. If all that other breaks down somewhere there, if the, the people don't quite keep it together well, and you find that flaw, just you go, oh man, am I supposed to follow an example of someone like that? Don't you see what they're like? He said, if, if that happens around you, remember this. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You always have him. He's always there for us, and we can follow him. And there's something there to be learned. We know that we keep Jesus central in our faith we do some important things we need to make him an anchor in our life looking forward to what it's like to be one of his followers the one who is changeless in the book time quakes the author describes what it means to keep jesus central in your life he said it is to go with god in everything you do go with god never eat without praying go with god Attend church regularly. Go with God. Read your Bible every day. Go with God. You that, isn't that a good word? Go with God. Go with God in everything that you do, wherever you are. Would you say that with me out loud? Go with God. Go with God. When you do that, you set a priority in your life that people can see. Now, we need other ways of reminding us. Philippians uh, 4, 6, and 7 teaches us how to pray. Be anxious about nothing. Be prayerful in everything. Be thankful in anything. Then the peace. Let me share it with you again. Be anxious about nothing. Be prayerful in everything. Be thankful in anything. Then the peace. Peace comes when we practice prayer, faithfulness before him. There's a shift in prayer that helps you and I to be that kind of people that don't disappoint God, that don't fall away, but who stay faithful. And it's when we change our prayers from beginning this way, please, comma, God, adding to that then the things we want, to a prayer that begins instead, please God. What can I say, Lord, that pleases you? What can I do in this life that will please you? Make that my prayer. Because when we please him, we've done what we're called to do. We become the example he wants of us. God is with joy receiving what we do. Instead of please, comma, God... Please, God. And with that, others see an example that they too can follow. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that your church is open here, a place of invitation, a welcoming station for those who are visiting, those who are traveling by, to those who come and become a regular part of its life. Open us, Lord, to your spirit. Even as we share and receive communion in just a few moments, Lord, you may know that we come to please you above all things in Christ. Amen.